Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Hannah Shot is not available. At the tone, please record your message. Hey, this is David, and my three-year-old dog's name is Molly. My neighbor's dog was recently diagnosed with heartworms, and I think she's being treated. But should I be worried about Molly now? Are heartworms contagious? I'm not sure what to do next, but hoping you can help me out. You're listening to Not Just Fluff, pet wellness from Banfield Pet Hospital, hosted by me, Hannah Shaw, animal advocate, otherwise known as the Kitten Lady. If you're like me, you love your animals a lot, but they can't talk and it can be tough to know what they really need. Not Just Fluff is here to provide you with actionable tips and science-backed advice from reputable professionals who really understand pet care. When you work with animals, you deal with a lot of unwanted intruders. And by that, I mean parasites. I foster a lot of kittens and puppies, and I'm no stranger to the creepy crawlies. Whether we're talking about fleas, ear mites, or worms, parasites are prevalent, and they can be a threat to the animals that we love. So while it's not such a pleasant topic to discuss, it is very important for people to understand parasites and how we can help. To learn more, today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Piccioni, Area Chief of Staff for Banfield Pet Hospital, Houston North. Dr. Piccioni graduated vet school in 2012 from the University of Florida, and he has been with Banfield for approximately 10 years. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Do you have any animals of your own at home? I do. I am actually a cat person. I have three cats at home. Um, Their names are Anakin, Raz al Ghul, and Mia. Oh my gosh, another cat person. I love it. I love to hear that. You know, as a veterinarian, I'm curious if you can share some of the types of cases that you like to take on most. Is there like a specific passion that you have within vet med? Yeah, it sounds crazy, but my favorite cases are uh, ocular cases or eyeball cases. I absolutely love working with patients that have, you know, ocular disease or eyeball disease and trying to help them out as much as I can, obviously. But that's that's kind of my niche, so to speak. Ooh, I wish that we could talk all about that because I am also very passionate about kittens and puppies with eye issues. But, you know, today we are talking about another thing that I think both of us care a lot about, which is parasites in cats and dogs. It is something that anyone who works with animals deals with regularly. On Not Just Fluff, we love to hear tales from the vet. And I wonder if you can share a story about an animal that you've treated over the years who was positively impacted by parasite treatment or prevention. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll share a personal story of mine that actually one of my own dogs, when I was before even being a veterinarian, uh, came down and was uh, documented positive for heartworm disease. And so at the time, me being in, I think it was primary school, I didn't even know what heartworms were. Even though it was my own pet, that case still resonates with me to this day because it was my very own, my very own family that was affected. And to kind of put in perspective, I live in Texas. And so heart disease is unfortunately more prominent than other places in the United States or even the world. And so on a regular basis, I, I do deal with cases with owners. They bring in their pet and their pet is asymptomatic. They just come in for a wellness visit and will unfortunately 
have to have conversations if their pet does to get diagnosed with heart disease. It's nothing that I enjoy talking about, but uh, prevention is just so incredibly important because heart disease in particular is a silent killer. I think it's amazing that you have been through this yourself. So when you're talking to people, you can give them a little bit of comfort from your own experience and really empathize with people. Um, you know, today we had a caller reach out about his dog, Molly, and he was kind of asking questions about whether or not he should be worried because his neighbor's dog was just diagnosed with heartworms. So can you talk a little bit about like what are heartworms and how do they spread? Yeah, so heartworms, like the name says, there are worms that live in the heart. And commonly, I'll get clients that ask me, well, are heartworms another gastrointestinal parasite? Unfortunately, they're not. Uh, but heartworms literally live inside the heart and they're transmitted by mosquitoes. And so if you have mosquitoes where you live, there are heartworms out and about. And so once your dog or cat get bit by an infected mosquito, they can potentially transmit that heartworm via that bite. And so again, wherever there's mosquitoes, heartworms are, are not too far behind. Can you talk a bit about what goes into heartworm prevention? Yeah. In terms of prevention, I think the the first thing to talk about is there's a lot of different types of prevention. So there can be many owners are familiar with a once a month tablet or chewable. Um, and there's a lot of products out there that you have available, so to speak. But thankfully, as time goes on, we have a, a lot more products available to us. Some of these medications now are actually injectables that offer prevention for multiple months at a time. So Owners have their options, whether it be an oral medication, an injectable, or in some cases, even topicals. So it's really nice to have options that fit that owner's lifestyle as well as the pet, because as all of us know, some of our pets aren't great about taking medication. So we really have to cater to what they will accept. <laughs> sure. Are there symptoms that people should be looking out for? Like if somebody you know, is worried about the possibility that their dog could have heartworm. What are some of the early warning signs? One of the early warning signs, unfortunately, is nothing. And so I will get clients that come in, like I mentioned earlier, with their pet, and they're just coming in for general wellness exam, physical examination, and other preventative care, like a once-a-year heartworm test. And the dog, or in some cases a cat, may come up fine, no concerns at home. But when we run that test and they show that they're positive, it's, you know, we, everybody is on full alert. But to answer your question specifically, as that disease progresses, many patients can have cough or exercise intolerance. But unfortunately, again, some very nonspecific signs that owners may not be in tune to at home to realize, hey, that is obvious heartworm disease. Mm, yeah, you know, you mentioned how much these symptoms can kind of go unnoticed. And I think cats and dogs are really masterful at hiding uh, their symptoms. And I wonder how often you do recommend that people test for heartworms or is it something that you wait until you're symptomatic or is it something that it's like every single animal should receive these tests, you know, on an ongoing basis? I am very big into preventative care and preventative medicine. And so for me, I recommend testing once yearly, whether it be for our dogs or our cats. If we do have an owner that comes in that may have missed prevention, right? So say they come in and they say, well, we've been off prevention for uh, the last four months. I will recommend rechecking that patient sooner, depending on 
a number of factors, but nonetheless, once yearly is really that gold standard. There's always going to be exceptions, but once yearly seems to be the sweet spot to really make sure that we're staying on top of any and all cases. Uh, and because again, prevention in general is is worth so much value to the quality of medicine and, and that patient's health overall. What is the impact on kind of the long-term quality of life for an animal who doesn't get treated for heartworms? Maybe, you know, they didn't, they're not doing prevention, they're not coming in for testing, and this is going untreated. What impact can that have long-term? You have to know a little bit more about how heartworms work. And so, as the name says, one of the frustrating things about heartworms is they literally live in the heart. And so, in this scenario, if we do have a owner that comes in that can't treat this patient for whatever reason that may be, those heartworms have a very long life cycle. And so those worms will literally live in the heart. And as you can imagine, they can also multiply and reproduce. So as time goes on, left untreated, not only do the worms themselves grow, but the actual numbers of the worms grow eventually can lead to things as extreme as congestive heart failure and ultimately death. So, so horrifying. Oh my gosh, this is like giving me the heebie-jeebies. I really think it is amazing that you promote the preventive care part of this because nobody would want their animal to go through that. I want to move on and talk a bit about external parasites. So things like fleas and ticks and ear mites. Can you talk a bit about their prevalence? Like, is that something that you see on a lot of cats and dogs who come into your clinic? I do. And like I said, it's going to vary per region, right? So it's going to depend on where you live to determine, well, what's most prevalent. But me being in Texas, very tropical climate, this is really a great, uh, and I use the term loosely, a great breeding ground for a lot of those parasites. And so we see a lot of hookworms, roundworms, we see a lot of fleas, we see a lot of ticks. They are extremely prevalent, really, anywhere you go in this area. But that's going to vary. You travel to different parts of the United States or beyond, and you may have certain parasites that aren't as common as, say, another region. I mean, obviously, just the presence of these little creepy crawlies alone is enough to make people want to want to not have their animal experience this. You know, they're itchy, they're icky, they're uncomfortable. But I think sometimes people don't realize some of the unexpected effects that can happen by letting these things go untreated. Can you talk a bit about what can happen if you are delaying treatment for, say, a cat or dog who has fleas or ticks? For fleas and ticks in particular, one of the things that I really just try to emphasize to clients is the way these parasites feed are on blood. And so left unchecked, a lot of these parasites can induce anemia in their pets and anemia being a low red cell count because these parasites are literally drinking blood from their pets. And it's, it's, you know, some owners get a little squeamish about that, but that's the truth. And that's why it's very, very important not only to prevent, but actively treat these patients to ensure that they are getting the utmost care they need. For people who are kind of concerned, like, do I really need to be preventing this or should I just wait until it comes up? Like, isn't it expensive or annoying to have to do ongoing prevention? Can you talk a bit about like the difference between preventing external parasites and treating them? Is it actually more cost effective to prevent? It definitely is 100%. And I say that because we think about not only the direct effects of the parasites, so say a tick or a flea 
yes, they can take blood away from an owner's pet. And, and obviously that's not good, but you also have to think about some potential un, not unrelated side effects, but things you don't think of. So other diseases, because fleas can carry diseases, ticks can carry diseases and those diseases can be transmitted to that pet. And so for me, when I have these patients that come in, that's why I stress so much the prevention aspect of it, because some of these diseases, once they're transmitted to that pet, you can't always treat it effectively. Prevention is just so important. And so in the long run, to answer the question, yeah, prevention is well worth it in the long run. Can you talk about how you prevent external parasites? What do you recommend to people who are worried about the presence of fleas and ticks and ear mites in terms of prevention? So there's similar to heartworm prevention. There's a lot of different products on the market. Some of those may be oral tablets or chewables. Some of those may be topicals. And just like heartworm prevention, whatever option best suits their pet as recommended by their veterinarian is the option that I'm always gonna encourage that they go with. Some of those products are once a month. Some of those products are once every few months. So again, it really depends on the owner's lifestyle, the pet itself, the veterinarian's recommendations, and that's the great thing about, not to get passionate about it, but that's the great thing about preventative medicine is, especially in this day and age, we have a lot of options available to really suit whatever pet or client walks through that door. Mm, I like that you mentioned the veterinarian's recommendation because there are a lot of over-the-counter medications that are available that people can go and purchase at the store. Um, but there can be some uh, risks associated with that. I know you're a cat guy. I wonder if you could talk a bit about some of the dangers that can happen when people go out and maybe purchase, you know, a flea and tick medication over the counter, not realizing some of the compounds may be neurotoxic for cats. Hannah, you answered it for me already. Yeah. So not all flea preventions are created equal. And because of that, not all flea preventions are appropriate interspecies. So what's good for a dog may not be good for a cat and vice versa. And so to your point, there are some drugs out there that if you apply it to a cat and it's labeled for dogs only can create profound side effects, seizures, and like I've mentioned before, even death. And so very serious implications. And I've seen those cases firsthand and they're very alarming. And the owners of, of, of course are, are very alarmed. And that's why it's so important as you called out what's recommended by your veterinarian as well. Because if you're not careful, and I don't blame anybody, but if you're not careful and you don't read that fine print or your goal is just, ah, oh, I have fleas, I got to get something. Sometimes I can come back and, and bite you, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, this is why a relationship with a veterinarian is just absolute gold. It's really important. There's so many things as just a, a guardian of your animal, you wouldn't know. And, and I've seen some really sad cases emerge out of that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to move on to GI parasites. I'm smiling because this is just like a such a lived reality for me as somebody who fosters kittens and puppies. Uh, GI parasites just feel like a package deal with these little guys. There are GI parasites that can be seen by the human eye, right? So things like roundworms or tapeworms, sometimes we have like visual evidence where you can say, okay, this, this cat or dog has worms. But there are a lot of cases where you can't see anything. Can you talk about some signs that people should be looking out for that their cat or dog might have a GI parasite? 
Yeah, the most common one that comes to mind is diarrhea. And again, when you think about gastrointestinal parasites, they're going to wreak some havoc. And so that is not uncommon at all. But you'll hear a similar thing as we talk about a lot of these topics. Unfortunately, you can't just look at your dog or cat and say, wow, they don't have any parasites. And it's not necessarily meant as a scare tactic. But as you know, you get puppies and kittens. They look ridiculously cute. And, you know, they're playing around and they're doing great. And then you bring them in for a wellness visit. And you have a fecal done because that's what your veterinarian recommends. And lo and behold, hey, we've got hookworms and roundworms in Fluffy. And you had no idea. Your pet eats great. Your pet, you know, defecates great. There's no problems whatsoever. But had you not done that fecal test, you would not have known that your pet was carrying parasites. Mm, Yeah, you mentioned diarrhea. And I would say that mystery diarrhea is one of the primary things that other foster parents ask me about. And unfortunately, I think some people think it's more normal than it is, especially in neonatal populations. People go, oh, they're babies, they get diarrhea. But I'm like, no, that can be a sign. And there's obviously so many potential causes. So can you talk a bit about uh, diagnosis and, and why it's important for people to get a fecal exam and when and, you know, how are we testing for these parasites? It's a loaded question, right? There's a lot that goes into parasite detection. And so one of the most common tests that we do, as you mentioned, is a fecal. And essentially all we do is we get a fecal sample from that patient. And what we're actually looking for in many cases are the eggs that are produced from the adult inside of that dog or cat. And so we'll have um, owners that come in to, to your point a second ago that they may say, hey, we're seeing parasites in our dog or cat stool. But when we run the fecal test, we might not see anything. And the reason why I emphasize that to clients is because we have to assume when we run that test that there are adults that are actively reproducing eggs in that fecal sample. And if there's not, doesn't necessarily mean that your dog or cat has no parasites. It just means that they're not actively shedding. And we see that commonly with pets who have tapeworms um, and potentially even hookworms or roundworms. And that's why, to answer the other part of your question, it's very important that we repeat these tests. A lot of your parasites, their life cycle is about three weeks. And when I say life cycle being three weeks, how often it takes for them to produce um, the eggs and then for those eggs to hatch and then and, and grow up inside of the, the patient. Say I see a, a puppy or kitten that comes in. If I did not detect a parasite on that first exam, say at eight weeks of age, I'm going to recommend they come back in a few weeks for vaccines, which I know is not the scope of this, of this topic. But at that time, I'm also going to recommend repeating a fecal because I'm not comfortable with just assuming that one fecal on a pet is going on a puppy and a kitten especially is going to be appropriate. And that also goes true for our adult patients. So just like puppies and kittens, dogs and cats or adult dogs and cats can get parasites as well. And so in those patients, assuming they are on year-round prevention, so again, a common theme, I'm normally recommending rechecking a fecal on them twice a year because typically I'm seeing them twice a year for wellness. Mm, Yeah, thank you for bringing up the life cycles because I think that's something that, you know, most people don't think about. Um, Something that I hear a lot is people saying, well, you know, I adopted my cat or dog from the shelter and they said that they were fully dewormed. So I don't need to worry about parasites at all. And I never need to do anything again. And, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head that sometimes there, there needs to be 
repeat treatment of these animals and also repeat testing of these animals because of things like life cycles or reinfection. Or the other thing is that um, there's not one medication that treats every single parasite, right? So can you talk a bit about that? Like some of these sort of parasites that maybe are not getting hit with the standard deworming protocol. Not all dewormers are created equal. And so if you adopted a pet from a shelter and they got dewormed, that's amazing. I love the fact that they're trying to be preventative in regards to preventing the spread of parasites. But unfortunately, not all parasites are susceptible um, to various dewormers. And sometimes I will even administer a deworming for a patient. And then the owner will call back, say a few days later and say, wow, I'm seeing little grains of rice in their stool. What is going on here? And that's because, again, not all parasites respond to correct dewormers. And again, even fecals aren't foolproof themselves. And so you really have to treat the patient based on the diagnosis themselves. And unfortunately, there isn't a magic pill that we can give that says, hey, take this and all your cares will be laid to rest. There's a lot of responsibility with taking care of our dogs and cats or any pet for that matter. And um, there's a lot that goes behind the scenes, but it's very important that communication piece. And so I love something that you mentioned. I love when clients call me and say, hey, listen, I know you gave a deworming, but I'm also seeing this now. Can you help me out and tell me what's going on? I would rather clients ask me than not ask. Um, There are no stupid questions. Mm, Yeah, you made me laugh with the grains of rice because I always feel like there's if you're seeing something that looks like rice or noodles in, in the litter box. Yeah, it's not rice or noodles. <laughs> <laughs> it's not rice and it's not noodles. <laughs> so let's talk about prevention a bit here. Routine deworming is something that we do in shelters and rescues, but is that something that you recommend even for cats and dogs over the course of their lives in their homes? I definitely do. And I say that because just like puppies and kittens, your adult dogs and cats can get parasites as well. And so, again, it's going to be based on your veterinarian's recommendations. You know, a common uh, question that comes up is, well, what about drug resistance, et cetera? And so I'm always going to encourage anybody listening to consult with their veterinarian on a case-by-case basis, of course. But routine deworming, I feel, is still very important because of the prevalence rates of many of these parasites, no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. What are some of the dangers of not treating GI parasites? So, yeah, for me, gastrointestinal parasites not only have an effect on the patient, they can also have an effect on their owners. And by that, I mean zoonotic potential. And so there are parasites out there. So we talk about hookworms. We talk about roundworms. They are not just inclusive to that pet. So just because fluffy as hookworms does not mean that no one else is susceptible. And so unfortunately, people can get hookworms. People can get roundworms. It's very scary, but there is an element of public health to veterinary medicine. And I think that's another reason why I get so passionate about prevention, because it's not just our own pets that are at risk here in their health. It's potentially the family, the rest of the family that's associated with that. So it's, it can be very, it can be very scary. I can just picture people listening to this right now and just grabbing their cat and dog carriers and bringing them to the vet because that is horrifying to think about. But you're absolutely right. Um, You know, one thing for me is when I'm bringing in foster animals 
and they have untreated parasites that maybe have gone untreated for quite some time. Uh, we see so many cascading effects from that, especially in in kittens and puppies. They can be so, you know, malnourished, emaciated, dehydrated, and sometimes it takes a lot of supportive care to get them back on track. So I think that parasites can absolutely wreak havoc on our animals if we don't address them quickly. Hannah, I'll add to that too, is I, I do have some clients that come in and say, oh, it's just a flea or, oh, it's just a hookworm. And unfortunately, I don't, I, I don't love hearing that because like I said, just, it only takes one mosquito to transmit heart disease. It just takes one flea to transmit this disease or this one tick and left unchecked. When we talk about specifically gastrointestinal parasites, they will multiply. And so it's never just one, it's multiple. And that, that burden on that pet can have profound effects. And something just as simple as fleas could unfortunately in extreme cases lead to things like, like death. The same thing with gastrointestinal parasites, the same thing with, with heartworms. Um, unfortunately, they can have very, very profound effects on the pet. So obviously our animals who go outside are going to be exposed to the risk of parasites, but what about indoor only animals? Is it also important to prevent parasites in them? Absolutely. And I say that because no matter where you go, parasites are not just going to be limited to indoors. People can actually transmit these parasites, the eggs via their shoes or whatever it may be. So we can be inadvertent carriers of these parasites and transmit them indoors. Not only that, but fleas are not limited to outdoors. They can jump on us, then they can jump on their pets, making their way insides. And finally, the last thing I'll say, and it resonates with me a lot, is we talk about heartworms and being transmitted by mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, there's no invisible barrier on our front doors or our windows that say, oh, I've, I've gone too far, I can't go in this door. They're gonna come and go as they please. So again, to answer the question definitively, um, absolutely, if you have a dog or cat that is indoor only, I feel prevention is arguably just as important because they will find a way. Many of these parasites will find a way. That is why they've been successful for years, thousands of years of doing what they do. Um, they evolve and um, that's, again, why they've been successful. So we've talked about a lot of different creepy crawlies and probably a lot of our listeners have the heebie-jeebies like me now. Ooh. So I'm wondering if you can just summarize for us once and for all, like how often should we be bringing cats and dogs in for preventive care appointments and what specifically should we be requesting to help them stay parasite free? I always recommend to my clients to come in twice a year. And I say that number one, because I want to do a number of examinations on this patient. Our pets age much quicker than we do. And so you know, you hear a lot of terms out there say, well, hey, one year human years is equivalent to this in dog years. And so I want to make sure just like your uh, human care physician will recommend seeing you, I prefer seeing my patients in twice a year to do thorough physical exams and then obviously recommend any diagnostics for preventative care at that time. And I won't necessarily go into details, but more common ones are going to be fecal testing, annual blood work annual heartworm testing that we talked about. And then in terms of prevention specifically, 
like I've said before, it's really going to depend on what prevention that veterinarian recommends. And so if you're on a product for heartworm prevention that lasts six months, well, maybe you're only renewing that heartworm prevention, you know, twice a year. But if you're on something once a month, well, then that's going to be 12 times a year. So it really just depends on what products that veterinarian is recommending. And at the end of the day, I'll always recommend consulting with your veterinarian because every patient has their own specific needs. Unfortunately, there's not a one size fits all, but education is key and communication is key. And what better way to do that than to make that appointment and, and establish that relationship with your veterinarian to, to get all that ironed out. Banfield's here to provide you and your pet with smart, affordable, high quality pet care. So you can worry less about the vet and wellness stuff and instead enjoy life with your BFF. That's why we created Optimum Wellness Plans. Our plans aren't insurance. They're year-long bundles of preventive care custom-built for the pet you love. Plans include unlimited in-office visits, 24-7 chat for general pet health advice, virtual vet visits, vaccines, dental cleanings, discounts, and more. Optimum Wellness Plans. Essential pet care made easy. Learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or visit us at banfield.com. So Michael, now we are going to switch gears and we're going to give each other some fast facts about the topic of the day, parasites. Working with neonates, I unfortunately have a lot of experience with this myself. So my first fast fact is going to be a fun trick for identifying fleas in our kittens and puppies. And that is I take a little flea comb and I comb through the fur and if you see what looks like tiny specks of like black dirt, uh, that is likely to be flea dirt. And flea dirt is flea poop. Um, there is another little step that you can take if you're not sure. Maybe you rescued this kitten or puppy from a dirty outdoor area and you're like, is this flea dirt or is this dirt dirt? Um, flea dirt will contain digested blood. So you can actually take that flea dirt and put it onto like a moistened cloth and sometimes it will run a little bit red. Um, so kind of a, a disgusting little magic trick for figuring out if your kittens or puppies have fleas. How about you? You want to give me a fast fact? So for me, we talked a little bit about this before, but tapeworms. So fast facts, when owners uh, come to me and say, hey, we're seeing small rice-like segments in their stool. Not only is that indicative of, in many cases, tapeworms, but that little segment is actually part of a much larger parasite. So that segment specifically is called a proglottid. And so where there's one, there are much, much more. And each one of those proglottids contain multiple, multiple eggs inside of them. So where you see one, <laughs> there's a lot more coming. This is the most delightfully disgusting conversation ever. I love it. I love uh, it, though. I love it. <laughs> we love it because knowledge is power. And the more we know, the more we can do something about it. Okay. My second fast fact is going to be that many parasites can actually live outside of the host's body. And that is why it is super important that we are washing our hands and that we are sanitizing regularly to prevent the spread of parasites. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there can be parasites that actually live not just in the stool, in the litter box, but even just 
in the environment or on your hands or on objects in the room, which is why, you know, when I'm fostering, I always tell people we quarantine, we sanitize, we, you know, wash bedding, we wash our hands, we spray doorknobs with sanitizer, all of that good stuff to try to prevent um, the spread of parasites and other disease. Well, and my other fast fact kind of piggybacks along with this, but I mentioned it briefly earlier in the episode, but some of our gastrointestinal parasites are zoonotic, meaning not only can they be transmitted from uh, pets to other pets, but also to people. Some of uh, people can get these parasites. Specifically, we talk about things like hookworms and roundworms. Well, in people, they are not limited necessarily to the gastrointestinal tract. In fact, they can manifest in other parts of their bodies. So hookworms can actually manifest in the form of cutaneous larval migraine, so where the parasites literally burrow through the skin. And then roundworms can actually manifest, and this one, we talked about one of my passions being eyeballs. Roundworms can actually manifest in the eye in people. No, don't say that. (laughs) And so I don't know if that's a fun fact, but that is a fact, a scary fact, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. That is a horrifying fact. And if people could see my faces that I'm making right now, I'm like just pulling at my face like, oh, gosh, that makes me want to go and sanitize everything and take all my animals to the veterinarian. But the truth is that that's what I hope that this conversation does for listeners is help them understand that, you know, there's a lot of things out there that maybe we can't see with the naked eye. Um, but that can be harmful to our animals and even to ourselves. So I really appreciate so much uh, that we've been able to have this conversation. Michael, thank you so much for imparting all of your wisdom and thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you having me on the show and I appreciate everybody who's listening today. I think an important takeaway today is that you can't always see if your cat or dog has parasites. But that doesn't mean that they might not be there, sneakily hiding away and potentially causing devastating effects. Preventive measures and routine visits with the vet can help us all feel more reassured that we're protecting our animal friends from unwanted creepy crawlies. I hope that this conversation has inspired you to think about ways that you can prevent parasites in your cats and dogs. Do you have a question for the show? reach out at podcast at banfield.com and we just might answer it on a future episode. Thank you for listening to Not Just Fluff, pet wellness from the pros at Banfield Pet Hospital. Make sure to get your paws on the like and subscribe buttons so you don't miss an episode.